Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, if you don't mind. I just kind of want to teach uh, this morning. I, I don't really, no, not so much. It's really just about sharing my heart this morning. Uh, I will tell you that I'm a bit nervous today because this is not really my comfortable style of communicating. It is the way the Lord has put it upon my heart. And so today we're just going to kind of walk through the scripture. Uh, I want you to know that I've been, I've been praying about this moment all week. I've been thinking about this moment. I mean, just reading, praying, studying, reading, praying, studying just over and over again. And when, when it came to the place where I asked, Lord, what do you want to do here? Um, he put upon my heart to change a few things up. To, first off is that we respond. Worship is going to be our response to his word. And so, um, just to kind of tell you where I'm at, I know that the Lord has some incredible things for our church. And that's not easy for Scott Brandon to say because I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm kind of the pessimist, right? I'm always like, no, it's not true. That's not right. You know, um, I don't, I, I want to, I want to see the proof before I see it. It's, I, I, I want to be a better optimist, but I'll be honest with you. I'm just, I'm a skeptic at heart on, on the onset. And so when the Lord says, Scott, I, I want to do great things at Harrison Faith, you know what my response to the Lord is? Can I just be human with you for a second? I just say, okay, Lord, do something great stuff, you know? Lord, I've heard my whole life that you're going to do some great things because that's what preachers say, God. That's what preachers say. We're the eternal optimists. No pun intended there, but we're the eternal optimists. And so the Lord said, no, Scott, I, I need you to understand. I'm, I'm, I don't lie. I have some things for Harrison Faith that I have never done in that church. And, and you're in a preparation mode, and you're in a, a mode of journey. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I'm going to do something that is powerful in the spirit. But I need you to lead. I need you to also obey, not just personally, but your family as well. Because if we don't walk in this journey with the Lord. Here's what I know is that a church, a church that does not know how to worship um, God properly is a church that needs to be entertained. And I don't know about you, but I don't care about entertainment at all. I sure don't care about showing up on Sunday morning and being entertained. I need the word of God. I need the presence of God. Those things I need. There's Branson's right up the road. There's all kinds of entertainment up there. I need something that's going to change me. I don't need superficial entertainment. I need to be engaged by the supernatural. And so I believe that's what the Lord's going to do in, in our life and, and here in this church. And so uh, for us to do that, there, there's a principle that's at play here. And simply this is that whatever we're faithful with gets multiplied. You remember the story, the parable? The talents, right? And he says, I'm going to give a talent of one to one person, one servant, two to the other, five to the other. And when he came back to them, he, he came to see if they were faithful. Really what he was asking was this. He was saying, did you multiply what I gave you, right? Did you multiply what I gave you? The definition of faithfulness is multiplication. And when, the, when God gives us a gift, he intends for us to multiply its effect. We want, to be, we want to be faithful. In fact, in that same passage of Scripture, what we see is this. 
when the, when the guy only had one talent, didn't multiply it. He didn't say, you're unfaithful. You know what he said? You're wicked and you're lazy. You're wicked and you're lazy. And so we have to multiply because we cannot let it be said of us that we're wicked and lazy. And so this morning, we're going to kind of dive into the, the heart of it all. I, um, I, I started to write a sermon to teach that's going to be actually next week. The Lord didn't let me write a sermon today. So I'm up here talking from my heart because this is where I want you to be is to have a heart change, to come in line with the Word of God with your heart. Now, I love my notes, and I love to follow my notes, but we're just going to follow the Word of God this morning. We're going to walk through uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13. So here's what I, I just need some grace and some patience because I'm a verbal processor. Are there any verbal processors in the building? All the ladies raised their hand. That's great. I know where I belong. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Uh, so pray for me. The Lord will guide my thoughts. I've asked God to not give me exactly his word, but also exactly his heart. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we surrender our life to you. We submit to you. There's nothing else, God, that we want other than you. And I pray, God, this morning, God, that you will put every word in my mouth. More importantly, God, will you impress upon our hearts, God, your heart, your desire. God, even as we read the scripture and we see some things that they challenge us, just pray you remind us, Lord, that it is your love, God, that challenges us. It's your love that makes us better. If you didn't love us, God, you would just abandon us. And we know that you'll never leave us nor forsaken us, God. And so we, we pray, Lord, today that you would show up in a way we've never really seen before. And then anoint our worship, God, to respond to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians is, is where we start at. And what I want you to know is as we get into this book that um, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And Corinth, Corinth is a nasty city. Um, it is filled with uh, pagans. Uh, it's filled with temples. It's filled with shrines. There are over probably 30 different opportunities for you to worship other gods in Corinth. And so Corinth is not just a place of pagan worship, but also it was a, um, a city filled with Greek culture, and it was very perverted. In fact, the word to Corinthianize came from the word Corinth, which means to make sexually impure. So when they, when they said that you've been Corinthianized, or we're going to Corinthianize that, that business, it meant to, to create some sexual immorality somewhere along the line of that person's life or business or whatever it might be. But that was the culture that, that the Corinthians were steeped in. Not only that, but Corinth was a, a, a major Greek culture. It was a melting pot of other cultures, but it was a major Greek culture. And Greek culture was known for its idols, right, its pagans, uh, pagan religions. But also it was known for its divisional philosophy. The Greeks didn't agree. It's the reason why uh, Rome imploded, because what we see is they, they had no way to, to reconcile their differences. They weren't conquered from with, on the outside, but from within. And so what we see in this Greek culture um, is that there is a, a divisional spirit that Paul is addressing here. But the crazy thing is, is even though it's a divisional spirit, 
what we see is the Lord is doing something great. He carved a people out of Corinth and is using them in a great way. In fact, look how spiritual they are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 4 through 7 says, I give thanks to my God always for because of the grace for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now, this is a, a past tense right here. You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Verse 7 is a, a big verse, so that you are not lacking in any gift. They're not lacking any gift. In fact, if you look at the New Living Translation, verse 7 says this. Now you have every spiritual gift you need. So we don't see Corinth as a struggling church in terms of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, because uh, Corinth had so many pagan temples, they were already a highly spiritual people. So they, this one atheist trying to get saved and be converted and understand who's a God and that God desires these things. No, they were already spiritual. They were already zealous for spiritual things. But now they're coming into Christianity and to, and to worship properly. They're bringing some of their culture with them. But, they, but Paul recognizes the fact that God has given them all the spiritual gifts that they need. Yet there is plenty of division amongst them. We see that in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In verse 18 of chapter 11, he says the same thing. For in, this first, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. So what we see here is Paul is writing on several fronts, but the two major things is immorality, which he addresses earlier on, and then, and then division. Because how many of you know the only way you can really make the church less powerful than the kingdom of darkness is to divide it. That's the only way. There's no other way you can overcome the power of the church unless you divide it. Satan knows this. And so Paul is addressing the one thing that he understands is keeping them from really walking in a power of God like they've never known before, yet they still have all these gifts. And so here's what we're going to see is in chapter 12 of, of, of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see him emphasize the idea and the concept of one. Then in chapter 13, he's going to emphasize the idea and the concept of love, what motivates and what allows oneness to be fulfilled. And then in 14, which we'll, we'll talk about next week, we'll talk about how to maintain that unity, maintain that oneness. So read with me verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. I may skip a little bit, but just hang in there with me if you don't mind. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I'm going to stop right there. You say, oh, Lord, we're going to be here for a long time, Pastor Scott. <laughs> Notice this. Is he, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. There's a lack there. They're operating in all gifts, but there's a lack there. And that lack is simply this, is that as they've grown in the gifts and as they've grown in zeal, what they have not grown in is knowledge and wisdom. And so what he's saying is, is that I want to address the fact that your zeal and your spiritual gifts are out of balance with your wisdom. Because anytime you have any imbalance at all, you create some perplexity, some problems. And so he says, let me bring your spiritual giftings back in balance with your knowledge. At the same time, church, 
it's not good for us to have all the knowledge of how the, the, the gifts are supposed to work and not have demonstrations of them. One of the things that vexes my heart is that all we ever really see in the church, and when I say in the church, I mean from the moment I've been in it for, for a long time, so I'd say 47 years that I know of, is that I typically always see tongues and then interpretation sometimes and then prophecy sometimes. Very rarely do I hear words of knowledge. Very rarely do I see the gift of faith, the gift of miracles. So did God just say, you know what, these are high-priced items. Y'all haven't got the money to pay for this. Why aren't we operating in all gifts? I'll tell you why. It's because those other gifts are gifts that demand higher levels of accountability. And so you and I, we like to settle for things we can't be accountable to. You and I, I, I mean the church at large. And so Paul says, wait a minute, we got to operate in all of these gifts. we got to bring accountability to all these gifts. And so it's not just good enough that we're operating in these gifts. We also must bring along knowledge. And it's not good enough that we have all the knowledge of it. We also know how to operate in the gifts as well. And so here's what I want you to understand. Here's my only point today I'm going to give to you. It's simply this, that the spirit of the gift is greater than the gift of the spirit. It's important you understand that. that. The spirit of the gift, the heart, the heart of the gift is prioritized. It's greater. It's to be valued more. And we'll see this play out time and time again. You're going to hear the word love about 13,000 times today. But this is what Paul's talking about because he understands we're talking about being one. This is important. And we cannot be one if we do not operate in this principle that the spirit of your gift, whatever gift that you have, whatever gift, that, whether it's the gift of hospitality or the gift of, of, of revelations or the gift of miracles, none of that means anything if the spirit that you have that motivates that gift is not right. And so Paul is saying, let's talk about the spirit of the gift, not just the gift of the spirit. And so notice his emphasis here as he's trying to bring some unity. He says in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts. I want you, if you can highlight or just pay attention to all of the verbiage that implies oneness or unity. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's, we'll come back to that. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, same Spirit again, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues, but all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. Now, why is that so important as Paul is talking about this same Spirit over and over again? Because you must understand they're coming from this pagan religion where there are different spirits and different values on these spirits. And Paul is saying, no, you don't, you're missing the point. He's given you all of these gifts so that way you'll be like the spirit that gave you the gift, and that is one. The reason why we have gifts is so we will be one. 
And if the gifts don't make us one, are we really operating in the right spirit of the gift? Because if the one spirit that's giving these gifts is trying to promote unity, and, and our operation in the gifts does not promote unity, we need to ask, is the right spirit in us? Because I know another spirit that's not seeking for unity. And that spirit is trying to use the gifts or exploit the gifts or explore our lack of understanding the gifts to bring division. And so we have to go back to our word. That's why, the, that's why when you hear me talk about why I love the word, because the word is always on it. The word is always true. It's always correct. I never have to second guess it. But even greater than that, the word says, Scott, it's great that you know those things, but let's talk about how you feel and how you think about things. Right? Because the word of the king means nothing if you separate from the, word, from the, from the, the heart of the king. They must match. They must correlate. And so what we see here, honestly, is going back to that, that phrase that Paul is using. And he says, all these things are given for the common good, the common good. So he's establishing why these gifts are given. And the word common good is a Greek word, and it means simphero. It's the Greek word is simphero. Simphero simply means this, that these things are advantageously good for you to uh, be bound together or to bring together. So the common good is advantageously bring together. All of these gifts that the Spirit is giving is so that you'll come together for your advantage, for your benefit, for your good in a common way. You, do you see the heart of Paul here? He, he's, sometimes we think, oh, he listed all these gifts off so that they would know, oh, this is the gift we're supposed to have. This is, no, he's not, he's not listing the gifts off so they can check it off. They already have the gifts. We saw that in chapter 1. But what he's saying is, is that since you're operating all the gifts, don't overlook the fact of what they're there for. Let me address your division, Corinth. You're supposed to be one. And if you're not acting in a way that brings oneness, then you need to go back and question yourself as to whether or not you have the right spirit with the gift. You hear my heart this morning? And then, he, and then he, he begins to emphasize and illustrate how important the oneness is in verse 12 as he talks about the body. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, makes no difference who you are, where you come from, right? All were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would, make it, uh, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. Who did that? God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If all members suffer, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will still show you a more excellent way. Church, I think we need to understand is that if we want to be if we want to be a church that truly is one, we have to operate in excellence in the spirit. And to do that, that means we have to multiply the effect that the gifts bring. And the gifts are trying to build the body. The gifts started in love, they're acted in love, and the gifts should always respond or require a response in love. And when we look at our church, what we see is that if we truly want the gifts of the Spirit, because I'll be honest with you, uh, I've had a few conversations this week, you know, and last night, matter of fact, and, and someone said, uh, why are we Pentecostal, you know? And that's a good question. I can't explain that all today. But, but one of the reasons why we're Pentecostal is because, because we believe, in number one, in the acts of Pentecost. We believe the power of the Holy Spirit come down to infuse the body and make us more powerful witness for Christ. But most importantly, we need those gifts. We're charismatic. Charismata is the gifts. It's the Greek word for gifts. We're charismatics in that sense because we know that without the gifts, we're going to struggle being one. We're going to struggle being one. And so there's always going to be tensions in the use of the gifts because of a few reasons. One, some people are learning. Two, the enemy knows how to hijack a gift. And three... Sometimes the gifts are not always comfortable, especially when it says, Scott, I saw you at 3 a.m. last night, and here's what you did. Now, I pray God never used that in the sanctuary as a whole. <laughs> but the heart of God is to always build the body, is to always edify the body, is to always provide consolation, edification. And so he gives us these gifts because the goal and the heart behind those things is that we might be one like he and the Father are one. Because when we operate in that way, we truly demonstrate to the world that we are his disciples. Because when we're one, the love between us is evident. And so here is the heart that, that Paul is preparing us to walk into. So let's go to chapter 13. So he says in the last verse, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Verse 1 says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is on your walls at the house. I know it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. I want to show you something that, that I discovered this week that I don't think I've ever had hit me before. Because, again, we're, chapter 12 and 13 are getting us ready to walk into chapter 14. If you separate chapter 12 and chapter 13, its teaching from chapter 14, what happens is we become a judgmental church. Oh, you didn't, oh, 14 says this, 14 says that. You didn't do that, you didn't do that, you didn't do this. So we have to walk in to understand because we don't live under the law anymore. And so we have to walk into chapter 14 knowing the heart of God, knowing how we are to operate. Aren't you so glad the Lord said, Randy, oh, you didn't do that, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. Man, we would be in trouble. We would be in trouble. And so the Lord is trying to teach us the kind of heart that he has towards us when he's guiding us in our walk and he's guiding us in our journey. He's going to emphasize that right here in, in chapter 13. Here's what I noticed. Pay attention to the correlation of these two things. I think he's trying to um, juxtapose or contrast these two items here. Notice he says this, the tongues of men and of angels. He's talking about, this is, the, this is the gift that I have, the tongues of men and of angels. But then contrast that with being patient and kind and not envying or boasting or arrogant, or rude. Can you imagine if you didn't have a love that was patient and kind, that did not envy, or boast, or arrogant, or rude, that if you didn't have that type of love, what having tongues of men and tongues of angels would produce in you? You, you follow that? So he says, if you don't have a love that's patient and kind, you'll say, well, I speak in tongues of men. I can speak eloquently and charismatically, and I can convince men, and when I can't do that, I can speak in angels to declare my spiritual righteousness to people. And so from that gifting that we notch on our belt, if we don't have a love that is patient and kind with people, that does not envy or boast, that is not arrogant or rude, then this gift will be to your demise. Because you'll feel some spiritual elitism comes about. This was the problem with the Pharisees, y'all. That they had much information and much knowledge, but no compassion. No love. And I don't want us, not even one of us, to operate in a way that separates the compassion of God from the information he has given to us to speak on his behalf. And then Paul even adds to that even further. He says, what about prophetic powers, your ability to prophesy, to speak to the future? What about that? And understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, even to the ability of removing mountains because your faith is so great. He goes, imagine if you had those types of abilities but didn't have love. Then you might look at somebody else and say, because I have prophesied, I can insist on my own way. Are y'all with me this morning? I can insist on my own way. In fact, I, I might become irritable or resentful. Why? Because I understand all mysteries and I understand all knowledge. And I can't wait long enough for you to figure out that I'm right and you're wrong. And so I become insistent on my own way and irritable and resentful. Lord, I'm tired of this. 
I can't deal with these people no more. You've given me this gift. You show me what I need to do, and I need to walk in it, but I can't because these people are holding me back because they're stiff-necked. No. The Lord says you need to have love because when you have the gift of knowing all mysteries and knowledge, you're going to be patient because nobody else has that gift. Let me just remind you, number one, that that gift was given to you. There have been times in my life the Lord has given me a gift and he's taken it away. It just existed for a season. But Paul's emphasis is simply this, is that if we don't guard our hearts, then we'll find ourselves being irritable or resentful and nullifying the gift, rejoicing at people's wrongdoing and not rejoicing with the truth. Why? Because we understand the higher levels of understanding, knowledge, revelation. And he's saying, listen, if you act in this way, that even though you know the mysteries and have the knowledge, it means nothing to anybody else. Because we didn't accept your love, we didn't get the love, and so we can't accept the gift. He goes on, remove mountains, bears all things. And then he says, he says, give away all I have or deliver up my body to be burned. Can I tell you, you're going to have to have a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things if you're going to be the kind of person that is willing to give away all that you have and deliver up your body for a sacrifice. That is the type of love that God is instilling inside of us. And so I, I want to make an assessment here this morning and say, why is it important for us to bring these aspects out? Why is it that love plays such a priority in the use of the gift? And let me just say this. Because a church that operates in the gifts but fails to make others feel loved is a hypocritical church. You hear what I'm saying this morning? What good is it if we don't love people when they walk to the door? You've notified your own gift. You've rendered your gift useless. We must have a heart. Love is the reason why we operate in the gift. And I would say this, if we want to experience the authenticity of the Holy Spirit, we must first be authentic in the spirit of hello. You must be honest. Look, can I just be real for a second? Don't tell me you love me if that's not what you mean. Don't say, I love you, brother. Don't, don't do that. I'd rather you be honest with me. Be honest with me. That way, I at least know you're growing, you're working at it. Be honest with people. And when you ask them about their day, mean it or don't say it at all. I want a church that when we walk anywhere and, and, and minister to everybody, I want them to know, you know what? Harrison Faith may not be perfect, but they're the most real church I know. And we are working towards love. God knows we got a lot of work to do in ourselves and our lot. We bring so much baggage into this situation, but God is faithful. And, he, and this, this moment is him moving us to a place, saying, this is the church that I want. Harrison Faith is my church, and you know they're my church for their love for one another and their love for the word. If we can't love people and love the word, let's go find something else that's more fun, Right? So we, 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 we really want the Holy Spirit to be authentic. Then we must be authentic in our exercise of love and welcoming other people. In fact, how important is it to do that? Romans 15, 7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
How has Christ welcomed you? Yeah? Oh, yeah, he welcomes you really good. God knows he should never welcome you. So, so when we welcome other people, you should, be, you should be in the progress of aligning your heart to match his heart to welcome other people the way he welcomed you. And when he welcomed you, he did not judge you, right? He did not predecide what you were, what you were not. This is the way that you and I are supposed to, to welcome. And the last verse here is simply this. And I will show you still a more excellent, I'm sorry, uh, the last one of uh, 13 is, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Three, these three, uh, but the greatest of these is love. So faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. You ever wonder why, why love is so great? Love is so great because love is what caused you to come into being. Do you understand that way before there was ever creation, that the thought of creating you came out of love? Love was the catalyst to your creation. Love was the reason God created Scott, because there was no logic in that, right? But it was just, but he created us anyway, because love, cre- love was the catalyst to create us, to bring us to exi- existence. But love didn't stop there. Love also redeemed me, because he knew I had failed my purpose. He knew I had fallen out of state with him, out of righteousness with him, out of right standing with him. And so love he gave through his son to die for me so he could redeem me and put me back in the place that he desired for me to be. So there's love in the motivation. There's love in the midst of the action. And the reason why he did all those things is that he could restore Scott back to the place he wanted him to be in the first place. And that is to fulfill or to to examine or to find his love in fulfillment. Love is not the thing only that created you, but it's also the love that redeems you, and love is the ultimate finale and fulfillment for you. So here's what you see is this, is that if love is not what causes an action, if we're just following the example of God, if love is not what causes the action, if love is not evident in the midst of the action, if love is not the response to the action, guess what? It's not of God. It's not of God. It's important for you and I to understand that, that if love is not causing our gift to work, if love is not in the midst of our gift, and, th- and love is not the response to the action of our gift, then that's not of God. That's important for us to know. Because sometimes, growing up in church, I've heard some people speak over me and speak to me, and it did not feel like they loved me. You know? Sometimes when, when, uh, when Sister Sally knew where Scott was Saturday morning, coming home late, and she said, oh, Lord, send someone to catch that guy in the morning. He know he's sinning. He know he's wrong, Lord. Coming in late, making excuses to his mama, Jesus, to help him out. Can I tell you that when, when, when we operate in the gift, that we shall operate in love? Have you heard me say that this morning? In fact, let me just tell you, that does not mean that God does not rebuke in the gift. In fact, when we look at how Christ rebukes us, love is even magnified even more. If you look at Revelation chapter 3, you see him talking to the church of Laodicea. And he says, you're not hot, you're not cold, so I'll do what? Spit you out my mouth. Now, I've never heard those words before in my entire life. But I feel like when Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, That's a pretty stern rebuke. But notice how he bookends that rebuke. He says, if you'll listen to me, 
you'll sit on the throne with me. I'll give you something you don't deserve. You'll know me in a way you've never known before. So what, what I'm telling you is simply this. It goes back to love and the gift. When we operate in our gifts, all of our gifts, love is what causes the action. Love is in the midst of the action. And love should, re, should be the response to the action. And if we can't have that, then we don't want any part of the gift. Let me just make a bold statement. Okay, I, I would like this to be the culture of our church. And, and you can say amen to this if you, if you feel like you can't. But I would say as a church, we do not recognize any gift whose motivation and application is not love. We do not recognize those gifts here. We don't recognize those gifts. Because I know the spirit that gives the gift, and he is a spirit of love who belongs to a God of love, a trinity of love. And so if that gift in operation, whether that gift is you opening the door or you speaking in tongues or you prophesying, we'll get into that next week, or whatever it might be. If the motivation of that gift is not love and the response to that gift is not love, we don't recognize that gift. I am not saying we don't recognize that you're gifted. I'm just saying we don't recognize that gift here. It must be one of love. It must be one of love. And I'm almost done. Worship team, you guys come on up. We're going to get ready for just a second to, to worship and respond. Chapter 14, verse 1 says this, pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, in the NLT, the New Living Translation says this, let love be your highest goal. That's what I'm talking about. Church, if we get everything else wrong but we love right, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. I, I, I would love for people to say, don't go to Harrison Faith unless you want to be loved, because that church will love you and hug you against your will. Against your will. And some of you guys, y'all haven't been hugging me, and I'm tired of it. And I'm going to do it against your will anyway. You're going to be okay with that. We'll go outside and wrestle, and then I'm going to hug you when we do that. Either way, I'm hugging you. I'm loving you anyway. And he says pursue love. That word love is the agape love. That means that we love in a way that I count you more significant than myself. So in everything that we do here, church, everything that we do, our hearts and our minds ought to be the mind of Christ that says that you're more significant than me. Is that scriptural? Yes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Go read that that I'm supposed to regard you and say your needs are more important than mine. And I do that through love. I do that through love. So here's our response today in worship. Just stand with me. We're the 99. We may have the one amongst us. I hope we do. I hope we do. But can I tell you that for someone who doesn't know Christ's love, we're that image, right? And we have to walk in love. That means we have to love each other. We, we can't pretend that. You know when someone's faking it. And, and, and Christ said this. He says, if I be high and lifted up, I'll, I'll draw all men to myself. 
he meant that here on earth, but he also meant that in our hearts. If we'll lift Christ high in our, in our hearts and in our actions, in our deeds and in our words, he said, I'll draw men. And let me just clarify the reason why we come here, the reason why we exist. We exist so that people who are far from God will come near to him. That they'll know his love. They'll know his life. They'll know his transforming power. That's why we're here. And we're also here to make sure that that one who has come through the door does not, is not impeded in any way because of us. In fact, it's right the opposite, that you and I, we're here as an accelerator to make sure they get to the throne, that they get to the Father. And so this morning, I, I, here's, here's my prayer in worship as we worship. It's 1101. We got time. Prepare your hearts and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to make sure that all of my heart is purpose on love. That when I see that person I don't know, that when I see a person using a gift, that when I, when I respond to a gift, Lord, make sure my heart is that of love. Because the person next to me may not know your love yet. And I want to make sure that I'm leading them to a place. I want to be, I want to be the person that lifts you high so you can draw this one to you. And that's why we love, church. If it's not for the one, then what else would it be for? Christ says, unless you love other people, then you don't love me. It must be our heart. Father in heaven, I pray. Prepare our hearts, God. Let all that we do honor you. Let our minds and our hearts, God, be honed in to the importance of our heart towards you. We want to be, God, not just a loving church. God, but we want to be a church that's filled with love, that it is the overflow, not the manufacturing of our life, but the overflow of our life. And so, Father, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, as we worship you, God, would you retool our hearts and train our hearts, fine-tune our hearts. We would come more in line in loving you. And if we'll do that, Father, I know there's nothing you would withhold from us, whether it be souls or gifts or whatever it might be. Make us more like you. Make us one like you. Jesus.